everyone, and welcome to Cookie Pocket, episode 101. This is the final uh, episode proper of, uh, of, of season four, um, but uh, we will be returning next week for kind of a, a, a brief wrap-up uh, on the full season, but this is the last full film episode uh, that we will be we will be hosting this season. Uh, today, I, Zach, am joined by my usual co-hosts, Christian and Mitchell. But, as has been the case in many episodes this season, wow. especially episodes <laughs> that I host, uh, we have yes. a guest. Uh, sir, would you care to introduce yourself? Hello, my name is Tyler Albizo, um, a uh, film lover, uh, I guess, uh, uh, hopeful film, you know, I've made some short films. Uh, friend, colleague, former, uh, former, uh, fellow student of not, well, we went to the same school is what I'm saying. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, student adjacent. <laughs> yeah. Student adjacent. Um, happy to be here. Yeah. And thank you for being here. Uh, and Tyler is going to be here today for our discussion of true stories um, up until a couple years ago, I feel like this was kind of a, a forgotten film, and then it kind of had a bit of a, a cult resurgence. Um, but this is David Byrne of Talking Heads' uh, directorial debut. It might be his only film, although I'm not entirely it positive is. of that. Uh, okay, it is. All right. Thank you, yeah. Tyler. Already already coming in handy. Um, uh, <laughs> his directorial debut and only film, uh, subtitled True Stories... Uh, a film about a bunch of people in Virgil, Texas. Um, and true to that title, it is a film about a bunch of idiosyncratic uh, individuals who live in a small town in Texas that's built around a microprocessor plant. Uh, and it's kind of just about the traditions that these people have and the ways that they interact with each other in the lead up to their big celebration of... Is it the 100th anniversary of Texas? Uh, I forget the exact numbering. 150th? 150th anniversary hmm. of, of, of Texas becoming a state. Uh, so it's, it's a very, a very quote-unquote indie uh, uh, synopsis and idea for a film. And it's portrayed through the typical uh, oddball lens that, that David Byrne brings to both his music and, it turns out, his, his film work as well. Uh, but I feel like we've had enough beating around the bush. Let's start, as we always do, with overall thoughts. Uh, what did you guys generally think of True Stories? Well, I, I feel like it, it often falls to me to, to jump in first when Zach is, is hosting, so I'll, I'll do it again. Yeah. Um, Come on. Th this was my second experience with True Stories. I sort of sought it out um, because I wanted to see it, and I think maybe some people at, at uh, school had seen it and, and were excited about it or... Maybe I just saw the average rating on Letterboxd and thought, oh, that's higher than most things. I'll watch it now. But um, I'm not really a, a Talking Heads fan by by any stretch of the imagination. And I'm not super well acquainted with, with Byrne and anything else he's done either. But um, I enjoyed this. Uh, I like it. I, I gave it a, a solid three out of five. Um, and I think my favorite thing about it is John Goodman. I think this is kind of like making of a, of a true star here but um, in a much more like personable, digestible, real sense than, than you would often conceive of a movie star, at least in my head. So uh, I enjoyed that. I think the first 
20-ish minutes or so of true stories is my favorite bit of true stories, which kind of works against it. I like uh, the burn just like driving around making his observations and I have plenty of like nasal exhalations and even the occasional laughter during that so that's nice and um John Goodman's whole thing about wanting to get married and and believing in the uh institution of matrimony is is uh, wholesome and fun I think so um and I really like uh the first song uh, which I assume is titled wildlife it's mm-hmm. totally earworm um will be stuck in my head for the next few days but that's fine by me um yeah, it's it's very solid. I kind of wish I, I got the Criterion restoration so that I could see more pixels and also have the CD, but I didn't. I rented it in 480p uh, digitally, so alas, pity me. Um, in my first review, I, I said I was wary of the restoration because I liked that the 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 less high def version felt like an MTV sort of thing. But this time around, no, I would have just liked to seen it a little bit more. I think, but uh, yeah, a uh, good fun time uh, if occasionally a little meandering and um, disinteresting to me. Hmm. Go right. ahead, Tyler. Go oh, ahead. Okay. Uh, oh, <laughs> well, thank you very much. Um, <laughs> I uh, came about this film because uh, one, Talking Heads is actually my favorite band, um, big fan. And yeah, I think I just heard people talking about it and then knowing it was the kind of companion film to the album True Stories um, and seeing something images from it, I was like, I got to see this. I did buy the uh, Criterion Blu-ray and um, nice. a, a few years ago. Uh, and yes, yeah, so this is my, was my like second time watching it. Um, and yeah, I love this movie. Um, it's, it's beautifully shot, like especially the beginning, just like, the opening thing of the girl walking and just like, Oh mm-hmm. God, so much of the like landscape shots and skylines and these little like tableaus are just like so incredibly, um, done really visually interesting film. Um, and yeah, very funny. Uh, just has that David Byrne idiosyncratic, uh, comedy in it where just the way he talks, the way, uh, everything is, you can tell how, detailed every aspect is of just like um what everyone is doing and you can tell it just it comes from a single person's mind uh Mm -hmm. which i always love in film and uh just great aspects in all filmmaking production design cinematography acting uh it's 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 a great film Mm -hmm. yeah i like this a lot more than i thought i would uh I haven't been, like, a massive fan of the Talking Heads, but, like, I don't know. I've heard um, Psycho Killer, like, 50 million oh, times. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> which is a great song, by the way. Uh, and then Love for Sale, I've seen the music video a few times, so that was interesting to have that as, like, a, a major aspect of one of the scenes of the film. Uh, I think it's, I guess the experimentation in general is kind of what got me interested. The fact that this came out, like before Napoleon Dynamite and it has mm. a lot of like the raising Arizona cliches uh, mm. with the South mixed in there uh, and then mixed with kind of like what Christian mentioned in his review, like the MTV era stuff. So it's interesting. I think I, I was really bothered at first that there wouldn't be, and I was very concerned that there wouldn't be like an overarching plot. It would kind of just be like things happening. Uh, and I guess 
I, I don't know. I, I, for some reason, it worked for me. I, I guess like the level of experimentation went in so many different directions, and and not to mention like the convincing characters, I guess, and and how satirical the characters are. Uh, all of the characters really were memorable for me. Um, I, honestly, I wouldn't have remembered Pop Staples that much if they hadn't have like the whole like. Uh, I don't know, like the re religious premonition mm -hmm. thing, plus with like the <laughs> dancing in the circle and stuff. That was like my least favorite scene, just because of how long it dro mm. like dragged on. Mm. And and I guess the last act in general really felt like a, a limited pace, like compared to the rest of the film. It felt like we were kind of building towards the talent show and the parade and everything. And and um, I guess like the sidebar plot with John Goodman's character only really comes in towards the end. And I also feel like that kind of hurts the spontaneity of everything. It's trying to add consistency where it doesn't really belong, I guess, which is very contrary to what I'd normally say. Uh, but I think, I think for this film with how much experimentation there is and how much like, I guess with the narration with, with Byrne himself and, and, uh, like Tyler mentioned with the random like landscape shots that are really well done and like the, the, the still frames and like the riding shots of mm -hmm. the buildings and the, and the homes and everything. I just thought, thought there's so much variety, I guess, in the cinematography and the character designs that it was easy for me to keep like holding on, especially for the fact that it was only 90 minutes. So I gave it a three and a half out of five. Like I definitely think that, that there's a missing momentum when it comes to stuff, and I do feel like the more you like talking heads, the more you're going to like the movie anyway. Hmm, okay. uh, but overall, I, I was very intrigued by how experimental it was and, and how many how many liberties were taken to make the film that he really wanted to make. And it, it definitely felt like a creatively free film, which is something to appreciate. Okay. Um, so I gave this film a, a three out of five, but I don't think that's... I don't necessarily think that's because I hold anything against the movie. I just think it's a really solid, good film. Um, and I think maybe I appreciate it more as kind of a work of art than I do mm -hmm. as a film. Like, I enjoy this movie in the way that I enjoy, like, uh, an installation at the Hirshhorn or something like that. Um, <laughs> where I'm I'm in the moment kind of thinking about it and enjoying it. Um, rather than sitting in it expecting to be to be entertained as as if I'm watching a movie, even though I am. Um, earlier this season, when we talked about the room on the weekend review, uh, which is a segment that we usually do on on our non-guested uh, episodes of this show, I said that like it or not, the room is a piece of art, and Tommy Wiseau is an artist because the room. <laughs> is a true representation of his feelings and opinions on the world. And that's what art should do. Uh, and for the same reason, um, although with a, with a better outcome here, I think true stories <laughs> is, is a very true work of art. Uh, it's an entirely unfiltered representation of the things that David Byrne finds interesting about people and America and small towns and the world and why he finds them interesting. And there's so many things in this that have such focus placed upon them in like little lines of dialogue that don't even feel like they're necessarily meant to be a joke. Um, but they feel just like, oh, that's how David Byrne thinks of this thing. Like when he's talking about the microprocessor plant and he describes it as being a cool multi-purpose shape, a box. Um, <laughs> and I, it from anybody else, I would think, 
a multi-purpose shape, but from David Byrne, I just, I totally believe that that's how he thinks of a box. It's a cool multi-purpose shape. Um, and I, I, I love that. And I love all the little details in this because they feel so true to what he believes and what he thinks about the world. Um, but mentioning that same line, the original tagline for this movie kind of worked off of that line uh, and called this uh, a cool multi-purpose movie. So in that, in, that, uh, in that vein, I wanted to ask you guys, uh, what are some of the purposes of this movie? <laughs> Anyone no, can no. begin. <laughs> no, gosh darn it. Okay. Well, um, well, I guess the tagline is, is the most like literal recognition of what it is it, it aims to do and portraying, I forget exactly how it's worded, the, the subtitle of the people A bunch in of Texas. people in Virgil, Texas, yeah. Yes, yes, a bunch of people. Um, oh, I hate to be negative because I do mostly like this, but I think it, it somewhat does not deliver on that aspect as, as the runtime continues just because the I feel like every like subsequent person we meet that's at the forefront of a of a musical sequence or or something becomes like more idiosyncratic and less um like uh somebody in the bunch of people living in Virgil, Texas. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's um I don't know, maybe that reflects negatively on me and, and my uh, perception of the variety of people in, in Virgil, Texas, but I, I am more of a fan of the of the scenes in the um in the multi-purpose box, if you will, um, where the where the workers are like are chatting with each other, and um, uh, there's a there's like a a diversity in, in conversation and background, and and um, you know, and I, I just I prefer that they still feel like people, and sometimes it feels like they're not as much that, um, like like the the woman that's that just sits in her bed all day because she can, mm-hmm. um, or. Um, but I guess a, another positive example would be I, I like the uh, the pathological liar that John Goodman goes on a date with. I think she's great. But um, other purposes beyond that, I don't know. I guess put some uh, put some really cool images to some good music. I think it delivers on that. So you know that's commendable and doesn't need to always be bound to the story or or the people of Virgil, Texas, or what have you. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm always down for a spontaneous music song or dance thing and. And wildlife, I I love how there's this like constant stream of people approaching the microphone, and and I I think that really delivers on the sort of literal thesis of uh, of the film uh, being about a bunch of people and and how we we all sort of share in this wildlife. <laughs> that was a good ending. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it kind of it. Um, I feel like in the aspect of showing a bunch of people in Virgil, Texas, it is from like an outsider's perspective, like David Byrne looking in Hmm. and seeing these kind of all these weird stories, but not kind of not judging them as being these freaks. They're like, (laughs) it's just like, Oh, this is, uh, this is the, the, the bachelor for sale. This is the, uh, (laughs) this is the pathological liar, but not necessarily like, it's not making fun of them. It's just kind of presenting them as they are. And also not getting too deep into, like, none of them have problems that are, like, really dramatic. And, uh, like, they're not going on this kind of journey within themselves. They're just kind of, this is just who I am. Uh, John Goodman's really the only one where 
uh, he kind of has this quest of like trying to find uh, a life partner, uh, which he kind of achieves in the end. But mm-hmm. um, in almost like, I it's interesting the the ending the of him marrying the woman in the bed. I'm almost like, is that like a happy ending? But now it's like. <laughs> He's he's the dancing bear, and now he's stuck in bed for the rest of his life. <laughs> I did find myself thinking that as well. Um, where it doesn't happen in the close up where they kiss, but in the wide shot, he almost seems to be a little a little exasperated with having to be in bed and having all these people around asking all these questions. Um, and so I, I do think maybe there's an element of like maybe being alone was kind of nice sometimes but <laughs> Mitchell you're up <laughs> I mean hmm. music videos <laughs> Virgil Texas <laughs> hyper consumerism mm-hmm Mm, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, hmm. Finding <laughs> spontaneity in your mundane life. Mm-hmm. Well, if you don't mind me, those kinda, are my purposes, Zach. If you what? don't mind me jumping off those points, though, I go do ahead, think leap. I do think you've kind of hit on something I wanted to comment on, which was that. I don't think multi-purpose necessarily has to mean anything all that deep. I think perhaps, and that's not even to say that David Byrne came up with the tagline, because I'm sure the tagline, it's quite possible the tagline was just come up with by whoever had to make the poster, and they went, that's a line from the movie. But if a multi-purpose movie was something that David Byrne did set out to make, I don't think the purposes have to be that deep. I think multi-purpose could just mean it's a movie, and... There are also songs, and uh, at the end, there's a, there's a big emotive ending, and it might tell you some things about your own life, too. And there's our four <laughs> purposes. Like, I think it could be that simplistic. Um, but I, I do think, Tyler, you hit upon uh, a, a good point of kind of the lack of judgment and, and the, uh, the very kind of flat presentation of just, this is a bunch of people and these are their lives. Um, because I, I was reading up on kind of the, the origins of this story, and apparently David Byrne, um, while on tour, collected a bunch of like tabloid clippings and newspaper clippings of these radical stories. Um, woman pathologically lies about dating JFK. A single man places ad on television for a wife. Um, and <laughs> his kind of concept for the movie was, well, what if all of these were true? Um, but not true in like a scandalous way um, where they were things that people wanted to talk about, but just kind of true in like a matter of fact, oh yeah, that's the dancing bear. He has his ads on TV every week that he wants to get a wife. Um, and they were just something that, that everybody accepted, including him as the filmmaker and, and sort of the the narrator and viewer within the film itself. And I think that's a really interesting angle. Um and the script was also apparently totally written by him. The The credited writers uh, are him, Stephen Toblowski, uh, also known as Ned Ryerson from Groundhog Day, um, and <laughs> Beth Henley, I think. 
um, though I might have that name wrong, but apparently they just wrote like a draft and then David Byrne changed everything and asked that they keep their names on it so it didn't look like he did everything himself. Um, <laughs> but it still does very much feel like he kind of did everything himself because this is entirely, entirely Byrne. Um, Kristen, you've mentioned wildlife a few times. I think we've all talked about the songs a little bit. So I, I want to I wanna pose that as a topic of full conversation. This is a movie, but it's also a, a jukebox musical of sorts based around songs from the Talking Heads album, uh, True Stories, uh, which personally is, is my favorite Talking Heads album. I don't necessarily think it's the best one, but it is my favorite. Uh, so what did you guys think of the songs um, outside of those that maybe you've already had a chance to mention? Hmm. Well, I don't know any of the other titles, so forgive me. But um, I like the one where the kids are wearing the green shirts and banging on sticks mm -hmm. and whatnot and just, like, tromping around, like, doing their thing. That had a wonderful energy to it and was another, like, wholly successful instance of just people being people, I think, because we've all seen, I think literally everyone has seen, like, kids of all ages just, like, doing the kid thing and like doing their funny little walks and being like, I want the thing and just existing in, in the most erratic way. And I think it's really fortunate that this, um, even in this small sense um, that the film doesn't focus wholly on adults because um, that could have been an easy oversight or like basing it around the newspaper clippings or whatever, um, maybe even a logical way to, to go about doing this, making it about adult life. But no, it's, it's about... Uh, a broader uh, scheme of things. So I enjoyed that. I also liked um, uh, Goodman's uh, big uh, finale sing mm -hmm. sing along yeah. where he People gets like his us. mojo back. Like, yeah. Yes, that one is is just splendid. So um, and no, I don't think any of them are bad or or out of place. I think um, and I think the the sort of like eccentricities of of them both from a production standpoint and from like a chord progression standpoint. Um, makes makes all of them very fresh and um definitely reflects positively upon like re-listens and re-watches so that's always a sign of quality nice. yeah um i love uh yeah i love um john goodman's performance is is great it's it's interesting like having listened to the regular album and watching the movie and it's like which versions do you prefer um, I think most of the time I like the Talking Heads versions more, but I really like the Radiohead uh, version mm, done in the yeah. movie. Mm. Um, which, fun fact, that is where the band Radiohead got their name from, was that song. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, wow. So it's an interesting little tidbit for this movie. Um, and Dream Operators, one of my favorite songs of that album. I definitely like the album version more, um, just because I feel like the, the actress is not like an amazing singer um and yeah i feel like john, john goodman is just so electric and everything that it's like he's just gonna hit anything out of the park mm -hmm. yeah i think uh i think the way that like puzzle and evidence was introduced was like the most subtle i guess you could say which is kind of like like what's subtle about this movie really um, everything's just so crazy in your face but um i liked how that was introduced and how that was like kind of directly addressing the satire the most i guess besides maybe uh the love for sale music video which is probably my favorite song in the whole film 
Uh, and then, yeah, Wild Wild Night, or Wild Wild Life, sorry. Um, I was very surprised, like, that's, like, the first introduction where it's, like, this is, like, a jukebox musical, like Zach said. So I thought that that was a good, like, setting the stage, no pun intended, like, setting the stage with all the actors, and um, it kind of gets you hyped and, like, get, gives you an idea of what the rest of the film's going to be like when it, it comes to music. So, uh, yeah, I... Everything else, I mean, I wasn't like a huge fan. I'm not a huge fan of John Goodman. We're Tyler, in case you didn't I am ruining my reputation. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh my god! You oh, should have heard me during geez. Barbie. I was like hating on half the cast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an awful person, but uh, yeah, not a huge fan of his singing. But I do like, like, I like the song and I like the the subplot in general on its own. And um, yeah, I mean, I think. I don't think there's a problem as a sidebar. I don't think there's an inherent issue at all with having a lot of the film kind of around these music videos or like around these, um, like the zaniness and like all, a lot of the themes that go along with talking heads songs and music videos being a part such an integral part of the movie. Uh, and I think that it, that was what was most surprising to me. And that's why I think I like the song so much because they, I mean, they could come one after another and you'd still get, like, the idea of what was happening and, and still relate to the film. Okay. So, Mitchell, since you mentioned a few things about the musical numbers that maybe didn't work for you as much, uh, Christian, Tyler, any songs that, for you guys, just felt like duds or, or don't feel like they're incorporated into the film as well? Yeah, I mean, again, like, there's ones where it's like, I didn't think the... Like I, I love the song Dream Operator, but I didn't love the, mm. you know, performance of the woman. But it's like during the fashion show, so you don't really, you're not thinking as yeah. much about it. Mm. Um, I was gonna say I forgot about uh, Puzzling Evidence, which I I do love that uh, performance of it, and that one feels a lot like it, like something that would be in the middle of a musical, just kind mm. of like a fun little song <laughs> that's like, it's like oh, it's one of the side characters that's doing a thing. Um, and I, I love that whole sequence with just the, all the conspiracy stuff. Uh, it's great. Mm -hmm. Even had its own title card. <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't think I was, I don't think I was bothered by it by any, I guess what Mitchell said about the like sermon kind of that, that scene going on a while, I guess maybe I felt that, but, um, no, I don't think any of the songs are, are, are bad or out of place really. Nice. Okay. Um, yeah, I think, especially towards the ending, I think the songs really kind of make the whole movie for me. I, 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 I at least considered incorporating this into my Letterboxd review if I didn't actually write it in there, but I, I compared this film to, uh, to, to Nashville, uh, Robert Altman's Nashville, where Nashville is a much longer movie, um, but I spent a lot of Nashville thinking... Is it still going, really? And I like enjoyed individual scenes in, in and of themselves, but as it kept going, I thought, oh, I gotta go to bed. Um, and then <laughs> the ending hit. And, and Nashville, similarly but not identically, uh, ends with a big concert and a big musical performance. And it made the whole movie for me. And for that film, it made it a five out of five because it made everything else throughout wow. the whole movie work for me. Um, this film, the ending doesn't quite do that, but, but seeing John Goodman, uh, up there performing people like us, 
really, I think, makes his whole arc work uh, and kind of ties together a lot of the preceding 90 minutes. And uh, usually when you say that the credits were your favorite part of the movie, it's an insult. But <laughs> I, City of Dreams is my favorite Talking Heads song. And I think just that visual of the little girl from the beginning of the film, which at the beginning of the film, you actually you hear kind of a motif from City of Dreams just instrumentally. And then at the end, they bring the song in as she's playing down the road. And I think that song, more than any other, really encapsulates kind of the whole meaning and, and theme of the movie, or at least what David Byrne finds important about the, the movie and the story that he's tried to tell. And I find that really powerful, just seeing her walk down the road. Uh, and that was also a shot, because I think I rented it's the same SD uh, copy that you did, Christian. That was <laughs> one where I was like, I wonder how well you can see her in like a proper HD copy. Because <laughs> on the SD copy on, on Amazon that at least I rented, um, she gets about halfway down the road. And then for like half of the credits, she's just kind of like a a little white splotch in the distance. Um, and I thought, I, I wonder if you can like see her in focus the whole time or something. Um, but yeah, so the ending of this really, really brings everything together for me. And most of the musical numbers do work for me. Some of the concert, I think, kind of drags a little bit for me before John Goodman shows up. But even then, I think the the visuals um, of of that kind of number really pull it together for me at least uh where i love seeing the 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 woman who's the pad of butter um who's clearly just having the time of her life like moving in and then going out again and moving in and then going out again um but uh love for sale i like how it's incorporated i i like how it's performed because the actual version of the song here is pretty much just the version from the album but i i dislike the decision to have uh, the woman in bed, like speaking over the whole song, that does bug me a little bit. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just saying like yeah, random stuff, like I yeah, diggity. I think they're selling something. You know, I dig it. That kind of thing. Um, where at some point it kind of just feels like, all right, if we're gonna do this, can we like see her say these things instead of just hearing them in the background the whole t- the whole time? Uh, but yeah, for the most part, I think the the album kind of. I mean, it's not literally the movie because there was a, a separate album released uh, that was actually the the cast recordings from this movie. But I do think the album True Stories and the film True Stories are working towards very similar purposes and are kind of directed at the same thing and built around the same story. And so none of the songs feel crowbarred or kind of poorly inserted because they've kind of been built around the same idea and the same purpose. And that I think makes it all really work. Um, okay, so for my third and final question here, I wanted to go back to, uh, Christian, your original Letterboxd review. Um, in, in that review, you Uh-oh. mentioned that this film kind of is, like, overwhelmingly quirky, which I think is something that a lot of casual viewers of the film might, might, might commiserate with. Uh, so I wanted to, to pose the question, do we think that this is a film that is deliberately trying to be quirky, deliberately trying to be funny and idiosyncratic and Mm. and different? Or does it feel more genuine to you? Does it feel like this is just how David Byrne wanted to build it and that's how it came out for him? 
Well, I will say that it's both. I think okay. that what you said about um, David Byrne's sincerity is probably mostly, if not entirely, true. And I think that the sincerity of his delivery of stuff like the multi-purpose uh, shape or, or box or however mm-hmm. he says it, and then the it's not exactly monotone, but the sort of like syllabic stress and like um, sing-songy way that he delivers his lines. And I, I, I don't think I would call any of it um, disingenuous, but there's always like, so there's always like um, artist's intention and where they're coming from is over here. And then like audience and where where they receive it is over here and there's always like space between and sometimes um this does not translate to that um perfectly um even if burn knows or feels everything he's saying and i still think that there's a little bit of quirk overload even even saying that i like it um in broad strokes having given it a three um enjoyed it enough to enjoy it on a rewatch even though i had that quirk complaint the first time um and at this point, I would argue that I'm not a casual viewer. So um, may- maybe this complaint is is not um, easily dismissed in, su- in such a manner, but it's more a matter of subjective taste, perhaps. Um, I-, I think probably a lot of people, um, even if they engage earnestly with this, uh, it just might not be their thing. And that's the nature of, of engaging with any art um, created by an artist as unencumbered as David Byrne was when he made this. So maybe not as much a criticism as, as a, as an observation or an honest appraisal of how I took it, but yes, it's sincere and yes, it's excessively quirky at times. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I would say like, I think it is just the things that David Byrne is interested in and what he finds funny. I don't think he's like, I don't think anyone could accuse him of, of being like, I'm trying to be different. I'm like, you know, he just, he just is different. Like you can just mm-hmm. tell that by the art he makes that like, I think the way he talks in this movie is like just a little more, a, a little more accentuated version of the way he actually talks. Mm-hmm. Um, where it's just like even more kind of simplified of just like, they're having a celebration of special mess. Like just <laughs> his, like I, I'm hearing interviews with him like now, like he seems like a lot more just like aware of everything in the way he talks. But like, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever seen the um, uh, first stop making sense. He did this thing where he interviews himself in a bunch of <laughs> where he's like one time he's like, he's like wearing different outfits where like, Oh, he's dressed as a woman. He's wearing, like dressed thing. And it'll be like, where'd you get that big suit? And he's like, I like making my head look small. Getting a big suit makes my head look small. And um, I, he's just someone I just love the way he talks. Like, it's just... I, I, and that's part of it, where it's like, if you... If you're, like, aesthetics or, like... If you're not interested in what he's interested in, you're gonna find this movie just, like, terrible. Because there's, <laughs> like... It's... It's just, do you, do you have the same sense of humor and the same sensibilities? If you don't, then there's nothing for you because there isn't much of a story uh, besides kind of John Goodman finding love. There's just these interesting characters. 
um, and interesting little idiosyncratic ideas. And it looks gorgeous. Um, oh, yeah. But people don't care about that. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I watched uh, David Byrne's um, autocomplete on Wired, and he says to this day they cannot find the big suit and that he wanted the suit oh. to look more like like an oversized like uh, baseball card or something like something that didn't really make sense. And he said he didn't want it to look like a fat suit. He wanted it to be like yeah, just totally rectangular. rectangular. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like Kanye Roblox. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna have to just agree with what Tyler said. I, like I said, I said it was like a creative. It's pretty much just a big creative endeavor that happens to have fairly good production and, and, and pretty memorable shots. And like, it's not like a super compelling at like out of this world, like some, nobody's ever heard of like hyper consumerism. And then he's just like breaking the glass ceiling with freaking, this is what corporate America's like or something. <laughs> and there's just nothing being taken seriously. Like it, it's just, it's, it's very interpretive and, and, um, yeah, I mean, I, I in terms of quirky stuff, I, I don't really, I I don't know. I, I guess what Christian's analogy was with the hand gestures was the most compelling for me. Um, the I hand think, gestures that you as our listeners could not see. <laughs> yes, because Christian was using gestulation. Um, and uh, yeah, I think, huh, I, I never think there's so- something too quirky i guess i mean when it comes to someone just being themselves i guess is kind of what zach and tyler have been saying and i think uh the a lot of the quirkiness does come from the time period too uh and and i will i will add on that's the end of that point but i will say that zach i watched the youtube version of this that says it's standard but it really is like i think it's like 720 or oh. i don't know if it is Ooh. 1080 or not so i while you were asking if you, if you listeners could hear the clicking in the background i was i was i was skimming through the last few seconds of the movie <laughs> and and she is based on the way the sun's hitting her dress uh-huh. and like if i really like lean in She's definitely like like jumping a little bit and like moving like slightly side to side. So she is still moving. Zach. Yeah, she's still <laughs> acting all the way down the road. Okay, and and hopefully they recovered her okay. But... <laughs> hopefully she didn't just keep walking. Yes, right. right. <laughs> she's still walking to this day. We couldn't get her to stop. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think I think this is a totally genuine movie, um, and I do think that for the most part, this is just. As Tyler pointed out, as we've all mentioned, this is kind of just the way that David Byrne sees the world. But I do think there's some winking to the to the camera here. I do think I I don't necessarily think that David Byrne is like totally lacking in self awareness that other people yeah. think that maybe the way that he presents himself is a little odd. Uh, and I think the the wink to camera that kind of reveals that. Um, and full disclosure, the main reason I have kind of like paid attention to this shot. Uh, and the reason I know about this entire film uh, is is I'm a big Red Letter Media film, uh, fan, uh, and they did a, not a video essay, but they have like a, a show called Review, yeah. which is kind of their, their more serious series where two of them just sit down and talk about a movie they like. And uh, Josh and Jay uh, talked about true stories, and they mentioned one of the shots at the beginning while he's driving the car uh he just has the steering wheel like mount unlocked and is like pivoting it up and down in a way that would be extremely dangerous to do while actually driving a car. Um, and his only acknowledgement of that is that he turns to camera and says, 
yep, real fancy driving. Um, and that <laughs> definitely feels like him. I mean, he literally does turn to camera and he doesn't wink, but he does acknowledge kind of the, the oddity of that moment. Uh, so I do think there's there's certainly some some self-awareness of the fact that this might be a strange film for some people. Uh, but David Byrne just doesn't care because this is the movie that, that he wants to make. And I'm glad that he got to make it. Uh, apparently, the only reason he had pretty much cr- total creative control over this, which is shocking to me because he was given the money to make this movie based off the success of uh, Stop Making Sense, uh, the concert film that he didn't direct. Um, <laughs> he just appeared in it um, as as a member of the Talking Heads or, or of Talking Heads. Um but, but somehow that led to the deal and that led to the production of the film. Uh, and I, I am glad it did because I, th- I think this is a, a very special little movie. It's not necessarily the best movie. I don't think it's a perfect movie. Uh, but it is a very individual, personal little film. And I'm glad it exists. Uh, and that kind of covers all my, my overall questions. But is there, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you guys wanted to mention? Any, any final thoughts we haven't covered yet? I, I guess just, like, what was... Because I think there's a lot of, like, moments that we haven't... Like, there's the Spalding Gray stuff where, like... Right, yes. Um, him... Both him going, like, his whole thing at the dinner table where he's, like... Mm-hmm. He's, like, and then they come over from over here. They come over here. And we have all the different things. And uh, he's just... He's another one where uh, he just is this enigmatic personality and gives a great performance... I think a lot of the people, they brought in people they found interesting and were kind of like, go crazy, do whatever. Like, (laughs) I love the line that I think has kind of held true, where he's just like, there's no concept of weekends anymore. (laughs) And it's like, yeah, for a lot of people, that's that's kind of true. Um, Yeah. Yeah, there's him. uh, We mentioned the lying woman. She's, she might be my favorite. She consistently was just hilarious. I think my favorite, maybe the the hardest I laugh in the movie is when she's like, Mike Wallace wants my body. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I love the, the Spalding Gray monologues, and I guess there's only two of them. But uh, Spalding Gray is such a, he's a, he's a fantastic storyteller uh, where I think, anything that he's talking about it's like impossible not to listen to him um and often in a lot of his stage shows he is talking about quite boring things uh i've i've seen excerpts from one of his kind of live films where he makes a whole story out of uh he and his family listening to chumba wumba off of a off of a tape recorder um which immediately does not sound like a very appealing thing but just the way he tells it (laughs) is so enigmatic and charismatic. And um, I do, I love the dinner table scene um, just for his presentation of that. I also, I love the relationship between him and his wife in the movie where they just don't talk to each other, but it doesn't feel like mean spirited at all or like their relationship is falling apart. They just don't talk to each other for some reason. I was going <laughs> to say that, Zach. Dang it. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I love... The thing that really gets the concert going is his kind of opening speech where he has his hands hiked up into his armpits um, and he's talking about uh, how God made Texas, um, which I don't care about. 
but the way he tells it, I'm I'm fascinated. How did God make Texas? Why is it? Why is the ground so hard, like concrete there? Um, and it gets the the concert off on a really great note, where I'm immediately sucked back in, even though some of the preceding scenes throughout the 90 minutes might have had me a little bored. I'm I'm right back into it with the with the armpit monologue. <laughs> Yeah, apparently the the armpit stuff and the hand movements were that they David Byrne noticed that when people are giving speeches, they give hand movements that you would never give in normal conversation, <laughs> but but in a speech it makes sense. And so he was mm-hmm. he told Spalding Gray like you should just do like insane hand movements that <laughs> like would make no sense in any uh, context, but they just <laughs> found it funny of like that people in speeches are always like doing. Like these things that would just be very bizarre in in normal conversation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cycling back to the um, not speaking to his wife thing, um, <laughs> I also like how that's that functions as like an extrapolation of the "go ask your mother" thing mm-hmm. uh, to to the most extreme extent, <laughs> where um, the the children. Um, basically uh function as as messengers between the two parents rather than like their own uh uh, like there's no until i guess the monologue there there isn't really any impression of the relationship that the children have with their parents uh certainly not as individual parents um and but but yet that still somehow survives the what we've said before about burn which is that there's like zero vitriol or judgment in the way that he presents these things somehow um, I, I think that's probably an even more impressive example of that than the like oddball nature of, of John Goodman's TV commercial, because like <laughs> that would almost like suggest like some, some, to some extent, like an absent, emotionally absent parent, maybe, I don't know. But um, yeah, the, the, the presentation of that is, is really clever, I think. Well, it's just such a great joke of like, when John Goodman's like, you know, they haven't talked to each other for 10 years. And then when they're having dinner, they don't, it's true. They haven't talked to each other, but they're completely respectful and mm-hmm. in, are interested in each other's lives. And it's just like, was it just that they got in a huge fight 10 years ago and they've since resolved it, but are still unwilling to talk to each other. Or maybe mm-hmm. they found out that they actually uh, just enjoy life more, not talking to each other. <laughs> And that definitely feels like that's, I think, one of the most believable, like, tabloid headlines, like, subjects in the movie. I haven't talked to my wife in 15 years, yeah. uh, but we still live together, question mark. Um, <laughs> Alrighty. Well, I guess uh, we can move along then to, to our, our closing segment of the show. Uh, we are going to move on from our main discussion on true stories to the rundown. Uh, I'm going to drive been... Christian down with my mini Mustang. I in can't the meander like this, like this white dress girl. I gotta, I gotta go. <laughs> Your Mustang, which is not a rental car, it's it's, it's no. personally yeah. owned. Um, right. <laughs> yeah, we've been doing this segment since season one. This was our earliest additional segment we added to the show. Uh, Christian has a minute to rate as many individual things from the movie as he can out of five. Uh, And Tyler, Mitchell, and I will be slinging the things at him uh, in a list. Uh, uh, Mitchell, what order are we going to go in for the rundown? Me, Tyler, and Zach. Okie doke. Well, let me pull up my minute timer. (laughs) It's getting real. (laughs) And move my Skype tab. 
and open my text. <laughs> I'm really seeing how the sausage is <laughs> made here, folks. Okay. Are we all ready to go? Yes. Ready, spaghetti. Okie doke. We begin in three, two, one, start. Dinosaurs. Three out of five. Ken Burns effect. Three out of five. Virgil, Texas. Three out of five. Real fancy driving. Four out of five. Steve Jobs said that. Three out of five. A cool multi-purpose shape. Four out of five. Some kids. Four out of five. The clean room. Three out of five. 844 wife. <laughs> Four out of five. Dirt roads. Three out of five. Twins. Three out of five. Veracorp. Three out of five. Shopping mall. Two out of five. Or the dancing bear. <laughs> Four out of five. A lip sync karaoke. Three out of five. A consistent panda bear shape. Four out of five. There's no concept of weekends anymore. Two out of five. Awful sad songs. Three out of five. Lying on the floor. Three out of five. Spalding Gray. Four out of five. Pad o butter. Three oh. out of five. Halt. Oh. Wow. All right. Wow. Tyler got let's, some good ones in there. Yeah, let's, let's crown Tyler with, with the best rundown delivery of all time. No, I, dang, that was, that was I, the sauce right there. <laughs> a, a thing that I, I didn't want to forget to mention is mm-hmm. the when John Goodman says, uh, when he first goes like, I'm a dancing bear. I'm like, the, <laughs> his roar, it like scares you. Yes. And it's just yeah. so good. <laughs> 10 it's Cloverfield Lane, Sully PTSD. Sully. Oh, or Sully, yes. Yeah. <laughs> So, all right, since this is our final uh, discussion, film discussion episode of the season, uh, we've done a rundown every episode this season. Uh, and, and for viewers new to the concept of our season finales, uh, next time there will be a rundown again. Uh, but we'll be, we'll be combining all the terms that we didn't get to in, in previous rundowns uh, into <laughs> one find them. mega rundown for, for season four. Yeah. Uh, so with that, we're coming to the end of our episode on true stories. Uh, Tyler, thank you again for being here. Anything that you'd like to, to plug before you go? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> Tyler, woo! Okay, everybody, a round of applause for Tyler. Um, thank you for being on. All righty. Then without further ado, I guess we'll wrap this up. Uh, nothing to preview this time, but uh, come back next week because there will be a season finale. Uh, but until then... Uh, We bid you adieu. Thank you again, Tyler, and uh, good night, everybody.